0: Father, it is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to your glory. Father, we know that there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus, you are the, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by you, and so, Lord, it is because of that truth that we worship you, we thank you, we exalt you as Lord. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here right now that doesn't know Jesus as Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation. Save them, Lord. And Father, I just ask that by the power of your spirit, you would use your word to draw sinners to yourself. But also, if anyone is just fallen away from you, that they would come back to you even now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Welcome. Be seated. And... Uh, As our children are heading back to class, I just want to say one thing. We love our children's ministry. Some of them are tougher than others. (laughs) I love this. Some of them just want to stare me down as they're going. I love it. But here's the point. With summer upon us, um, we have many of our college students that are gone. We have people that are traveling. And so what a great opportunity to use your gifts to serve in our children's ministry, to be able to really make an impact for souls. And some of you have had coaches, some of you have had teachers that have really made an impact in your lives. And, you know, our children's ministry is an outstanding children's ministry. We have a great leader in Olivia Simpson. And I would just encourage you, if you're not serving anywhere and you would like to use your gifts or even discover your gifts, we would love you in our children's ministry this summer. And I will tell you, you will be blessed. And, uh yeah, thank you for that. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and find your way to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab a Bible. And you can find 1 Peter chapter 5 on page 955 of the Black Bibles. And today is the last of our 1 Peter messages. Uh, looking up when life is down. Um, it's kind of sad, but at the same time, exciting. It's been an incredible book. And. Um, Here's something that uh, just became so clear as I was reading through this book over and over again these last couple weeks and months. God cares for you. God cares for you. If there's nothing else that you take away from this message today or from this series but that one point, then today's been successful. Successful this series has been successful. God cares for you. He loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. He wants the best for you. In fact, not only is that the key point of this message today, it's why I titled it, God Cares for You, but I believe it's the whole point of Peter's message, his his letter. As he's writing to those that are suffering, going through all kinds of persecution and trials throughout the ancient world, he wants them to know God cares for you. So no matter what you're going through, you've got to understand that one truth. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants the best for you. In the midst of all the suffering, when you read through his letter, you can't help but see over and over again him reminding of that truth in different ways. In fact, in chapter 1, he reminds us that they've been born again to a living hope. This was something that God has done. They've been born again to a living hope. We see that in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great ministry. Mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. We receive this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Understand that truth. He reminds them that he's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that we've been ransomed by his blood. We are precious in his sight, we are chosen. In chapter 2, verse verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Don't you understand what Peter's trying to do? He's trying to help you understand. God cares for you. He loves you. He wants the best for you. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 18, he reminds the believers, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's reminding them that Christ took our place on the cross. He died in our place. The, the death that we deserved, he died. And he raised so we could have eternal life. Peter's reminding them over and over again of this. God cares for you. And after sharing all of these truths in the midst of it, he sprinkles in how we should live with one another and how we should live in this broken world. Because he knows it's going to be difficult. He wants us to continue to look up when life is down. And as a caring father would encourage their child would warn their child, would would help to prevent them from temptations, God our Father, through the Holy Spirit in Peter wrote this letter to warn us, to care for us. So the big idea of the message today is very simple. What do you think it is? God cares for you. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just say, God cares for you. It's an important thing to remember. Remember? I don't want you to forget it. You're going to walk out of here hopefully today and you're going to, like there's two words that you're, two things that you couldn't get away from. One is Jesus and two that that he cares for you. I mean, and that's a good, that's what a church is supposed to do, right? Peter gives us some final exhortations. At the end of his letter. Here's the first exhortation. In fact, if you look at chapter 5, verse 1, it says, So I exhort the elders among you. That's an ex- So he gets ready to exhort the elders. And now he gives us some final exhortations. First exhortation, clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Now, if you remember, we talked last week that there were times where Peter is writing this to everybody in the church But then he would zero in and speak to just a few individuals, uh, uh, certain groups, whether it was servants, those that that they worked for, women or wives, husbands. Last week we saw he spoke to elders. But notice what he says in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger. So now, once again, he he goes into a specific group. You who are younger. Pam, that includes us. Actually, you who are younger, he's speaking in light of the elders, you who are younger, what does he say? He says, be subject to your elders. Once again, he's reminding the church of the importance of order. If you don't have order, what do you have? Chaos. The Bible is all about order. God is a God of order. And, and what he, it's, it's for our good, is he, he wants us to understand order is important. And for those who are younger that may be suffering, he wants them to be reminded, submit to the elders. And prayerfully, the elders are being an example that you can submit to, because that's when the church is going to work really well. Willingly place yourself under the authority of the elders. That word is it's, a, it's It's to order under. It's a mi- military word. It's a compound word. But then Peter turns from those that are younger to the whole church again. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you. So it goes from the, young, the elders to the younger, and now again to all of you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. An incredible passage of Scripture right there. He gives two commands. Clothe yourselves, all of you, and second, humble yourselves. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. And then he says, humble yourselves. Why do you think Peter is driving home the point of humility? Well, we see it. Humility, it activates God's grace. It activates God's grace. Notice, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. It gives gra- he gives grace to the humble. It activates His grace in your life. He wants us to understand that God hates pride. He exalts humility. Now don't raise your hand as much as you're going to want to. How many of you struggle with pride? It's unanimous. And if you're sitting there saying, "No, eh, not my issue, don't struggle with pride. You're the one that needs to listen the closest. (laughs) Humility is dependence upon God. It's calling out to God. It's trusting in God. Especially in difficulty, it's a need for God. Suffering brings us to a point where we call upon God. I can't, Lord, but you can. The thing is, suffering brings us many times to that point. The problem is we more often than not have to get to a place of suffering before we call out to God. And why don't we call out to God? Because I got this, Lord. i, I never forget Morgan Mulligan. Morgan was one of the first guys that was in our ministry back in Dallas and Morgan says, Yeah, you know, my life, he, he grew up in the church. He says, My life has always been about uh, Jesus, I'll keep you in the back seat, and when I need you, I'll call upon you. But for right now, I got this. That's pride. He understood that. How often do we just say, like, God, I we may not say it out loud, but in our actions, our lack of prayer, we say, like, Lord, I I got this. You created me. I'm 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 awesome. I would never say that again. But, but, but in our minds, we're thinking that I, I, I don't need you, And but if I do, I'll call upon you. It, it's like, when do we call 911? When we have a need. But if we don't have a need, we don't call 911. And the Lord is saying, listen, clothe yourselves in humility, all of you. I want you to Call upon me. He's calling us to put on humility, not just when we need it, but moment by moment. And the fact is we see that humility or putting on humility is a choice. It's something that we have to consciously do. The fact is humility is countercultural. It was countercultural 2,000 years ago. It's countercultural now. Let me ask you: How many people are, attra- how many people are attracted to somebody that's really prideful? Go ahead, raise your hands. We can raise our hands on this one. I mean, none of us. But are you attracted to people that are- have a humility, show a humility? I mean, Pam and I have. If we're watching basketball or we're watching football, and I sometimes sit come and, and, and I'll watch it with her because I know she wants to watch it all the time. But, but, but you see these athletes where there's, there's tremendous humility and you're saying, man, I love that. And then you see the guys where it's like all about, you know, they're just always pounding their chest all about me. And it's like, come on, man, just give yourself a break. But sometimes we act like that. C.J. Mahaney, he wrote a book on humility, and just before I get going on this, he wrote a book on humility, and what's interesting is he had to step away from the ministry. Guess why? He was known for his pride. That's humbling. He writes a book on humility, and he gets has to step away from the ministry, which he's now back in because of pride. But C.J. Mahaney wrote this about humility. He says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. It's, it's seeing my sinfulness in light of God's holiness. And when I see my sinfulness in light of God's holiness, guess what it does? It puts me on my face. Because... Yeah. I think think I'm, I'm about all things right until I see myself in light of God's glory. So often we don't have an honest assessment of ourselves. But when we have an honest assessment of ourselves in light of God's glory, there's a humility there. John Stott, the great theologian, wrote this. He says, pride is the essence of all sin. Pride is the essence of all sin. I think it was um, Paul Tripp that said that pride is the DNA of sin. We know that Satan fell because of pride. Adam and Eve forsook what God's word said and in pride, listen to Satan. C.J. Mahaney wrote this. He said, Pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God. Now, they would never say that and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon them. It's their actions. The proud person seeks to glorify himself and not God. Peter's saying here, put on humility, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. That, that word, to clothe yourselves, it was the idea of a servant or a slave putting on an apron, tying on an apron. We see a picture of that in, in uh, John chapter 13 where Jesus girds himself. It's the same thing. It's to put on an apron of humility. So you're walking around with different clothes, Believers are to be known for their humility, for their dependence upon God. The question is, are you? Is that the way you would be known? And you're thinking, yeah, maybe. Well, let me ask your spouse, what would they say about you? Or maybe a coworker. Or or, or maybe a, uh, a fellow student. How would you be found... When you get dressed in the morning, do you put on humility? Why do you think he tells us to put on humility? What do you think our default is? It's this pride. It's thinking, we got this. And yet God is telling us through the Holy Spirit, through Peter, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Notice, towards one another. This is one of the one another commands. Not just between you and the Lord, but with your spouse, with your coworkers. Like, are, are you holding on to things that keep you just from humbling yourself? Like, I, I just got to hold on to this because it's so important to me. And it's prideful and everybody sees it but You. The result of clothing yourself with humility is you activate God's grace. Look again. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? God opposes opposes the proud. How many of you would love to be opposed by God today? Just like man, I, honey, I think today I want to be opposed by God. See how it goes. It's not a great plan. Put on humility. But notice that he gives grace to the humble. Undeserved favor to the humble. That's why my friend Robbie Simons up in Toronto says, Pride is dumb. You know why he says that? Because pride is dumb. It is dumb. It doesn't make any sense at all. When we really think about it, especially in light of God's word, it makes no sense at all. Why would I continue to hold on to my pride when God resists that, doesn't activate his grace? I'm now against him. Pride is dumb. The second command, he says, is humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It's a daily choice to clothe yourself under God's command. Every hour, every moment, you have a choice. How will I respond? Will I respond in pride or will I respond in humility? Some of us, this is a harder command than for others. But it's so important. God resists the proud. He says, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God. Why? So that the proper time he might exalt you. Jesus was a perfect example of this. We see this in Philippians chapter two. One of the the great passages of scripture. Let me me put that up for you. He says in in Philippians chapter two, starting in verse five, he says, have this mind, Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, uh, have this mind, or church in Philippi, have this mind among yourselves in my mind, which is yours in Christ, Jesus, who though he was in the form of God and did not, not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, he emptied himself by taking the form of his servant, being born in the likeness of men. God the Father told God the Son to condescend. Jesus, in humility, chose To clothe himself in humility, to clothe himself as a man, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This incredible condescension that leads to this incredible exaltation. Notice what it says. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's a reminder, stay low. Don't try to exalt yourself. Who's going to exalt you? God, in due time, in his timing at the proper time, according to God's will. Humility throws off self-interest, self-sufficiency, self-ambition, self-reliance. Bottom line, humility throws off self. Pride is dumb, clothe yourselves in hum- with humility. Second, or exhortation, it will be shorter. Cast your burdens on God. Cast your burdens of God on God. Now, one of the evidences of humility is that we do cast our burdens on God. Notice what verse 7 says. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. What's Peter saying? He's saying, Listen, as Christians, you will suffer. Fiery trials will come. You will have anxieties, you will have burdens, you will have cares, you will have stress, you will have fears. And you have a choice. In pride, you can try to carry them, try to solve them, try to st- st- just stay up all night tossing turning, and turning. Or in humility, what? You can cast them upon God. That word cast, it's not like casting a fishing line. It's casting a net, a fishing net where you just like, boom. You, you, you throw them cast them. It's like, here you go, God. You can take them. I love that whole picture. It's like, do you want to put on the backpack of all of your anxieties and all of your fears and all of your stresses and just carry them around? I mean, think about going to bed with that at night. Anybody ever try to sleep with a backpack at night? Packed, heavy? Some of us have done that, right? Not literally, but figuratively. He says, cast him upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. He says, cast him upon me. When he says, casting all your anxieties, that word anxiety means to pull apart how often are we just pulled apart by the anxieties of life the Lord is saying cast them upon me release what is holding you down and throw them on me take take what is crushing you and cast it on me stop trying to bootstrap your life why? because he cares for you he loves you These have to be some of the greatest words in the Bible right here. He loves you. He cares for you. I said it early at the beginning of the message. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. God cares for you. He loves you. And he's telling you in humility, cast all your cares, all your worries, all your burdens upon him. Don't carry what he says he'll take. Now, Guess who who had to be preached this this week? Guess who has to be preached this every week? I do. Like, at night, man, I just, I ruminate. Pam goes, did you pray? Of course I did. (laughs) But, I mean, sometimes I just have to cast them upon the Lord. I said, Lord, you take this. Clothe yourselves with humility. Cast your burdens on God. Third, he reminds us to grow firm in your faith. Grow firm in your faith. Now, Peter gives a critical warning to the believers, and it's this. Satan wants to take you down. Satan wants to take you down. Pretty easy to see that here. Notice what it says in verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Why do you think he uses the imagery of a lion? When a lion goes after its prey, does a lion go after a big pack of healthy animals or does the lion look for the one that gets separated away so it can devour that one. And if you don't know the answer, just watch Animal Planet for a day, and you'll figure it out. But isn't that the same thing with us? How we can get isolated, we can start taking things in our own way, and we, we, we find ourselves isolated from the rest of the body, and before we know it, like we are so susceptible to, to Satan's, this, this, prowling, roaring lion that's seeking to destroy, that that word devour. It's to cause the complete and sudden destruction of someone or something. If you've isolated yourself, you've left yourself open to be devoured by Satan. He's known as the deceiver or the accuser, the adversary, the slanderer. We know from Genesis 3-1 that he was more crafty than any other beast that the Lord God had made. And we should be reminded that he is a created being, he is not God, and he who is in us, Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. But the fact is, we must be careful. Otherwise, he will devour us. Notice, Peter is saying here, wake up, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the one that is against you, wants to devour you. Be clear in your thinking. Keep your eyes up. And the fact is, we must continue to grow firm in our faith. Notice what it says in verse 9. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are experienced by God your brotherhood throughout the world This is one of the reasons we want everyone in small group This is where we protect one another from the wiles of the devil There's accountability, true accountability, people speaking truth to you, not gathering to commiserate about your woes, but believers who are serious about their walk and want others to speak into each other's lives, to call out blind spots, to tell them they're being susceptible to Satan, to provide accountability, to warn them to stay protected. Now, listen, I'm not saying that people won't come with issues and challenges for sure. It's okay not to be okay. Matt Chandler always says that, if you know who Matt Chandler is. But he says it's not okay to stay there. And so what we want to do in our small groups is we want to help you move beyond these challenges that you're in and help you to walk in victory. But so often what happens is we think, I just, I just need a break. And I get that in some ways. But be careful because you get carved out. You, you start finding yourself alone. And your adversary, Satan, is going to be prowling around thinking, this is an easy prey. This is too easy. So, how do we resist the devil? How do we resist him? How do we grow firm in our faith? Well, let me give you six ways. First of all, respond with truth. Respond with truth. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan came to him when he was at his weakest. And started attracting him with all these different promises. And how did Jesus respond? It is written. He knew the truth. He responded to Satan with the truth. You can't respond with the truth if you don't know the truth. What is the truth? God's word. Listen, that's why God's word should be in us. So we can respond with the truth. Jesus responded with the truth. We as believers need to respond with the truth. And if you don't know the truth, get around other people that can help you grow in the truth. Second, be in community. Did I already talk about that? Yes. But I'm going to talk about it again. In Acts chapter 2, the the new believers, it says they continued in the apostles. In fact, let me put up, uh, I think I have it. Um, Did I put up Acts chapter? I may have it. Acts chapter Two, maybe I didn't. Acts chapter 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. In fact, in verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The church was together. Let me ask you, are you together or are you apart Be in a community. It's so important, not because we want to build up our numbers, but because we want to build up the saints. We want to grow the saints so we can practice the one another commands. Third way to resist the devil, flee temptations. Flee temptations. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful lusts. Don't mess with them, flee them. First Thessalonians four three for this is the will of God your sanctification that you flee youthful lusts flee. Fourth forgive. Forgive. Satan loves when we when we're unforgiving. Loves it. Guess who's the one in spiritual prison when we don't forgive? As Christ has forgiven you, so you also must do, Colossians 3.13. Is there anybody you're holding unforgiveness towards? You know what? Satan is, is circling because of that. Hold short accounts. Be the first to forgive. Fifth, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. I would encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following. He says, Do everything you can stand to withstand. Like four different times he uses that word. Put on the belt of truth, the word of God. Put on the, 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 the breastplate of or the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, shoes for your feet, which is the gospel, the shield of faith extinguish the flaming darts, the helmet of salvation, the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times, put on the full armor of God. And six, know that what you're going through, you're not the only one. He says that at the end of verse nine. He says, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. James, and I'll put this up now. or I won't put it up, but I'll read it. James 4, 6, uh, and 7 says this. But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God resist the devil and guess what he does he will flee from you he will flee from you if you resist him he will flee from you draw near to god and he will draw near to you clothe yourselves with humility cast your burdens upon god grow firm in your faith forth put your hope in it on eternity put your hope on eternity In other words, live with the end in mind. Suffering will end. Trials will end. In fact, Peter here in verse 10 is telling believers to look up when life is down. Look again at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, it's going to have an end. The God of all grace, this is is just a beautiful verse who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Your sufferings will come to an end. And God is the God of all grace. And because he is, where should your focus always be? The one that can provide grace to you. He's the one that has called you to his eternal glory. He is the one that has made a way for you to spend eternity in heaven. He's the one that sent Jesus into this world because of your, your, the condition of your because of the, 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 the results of your sin. Because a result of our sin is that we cannot have a relationship with God, and that's why God sent Jesus. live a sinless life, to die in our place on the cross, but to be raised on the third day, and by putting our faith in him, we could have eternal life. That's why why Peter is saying, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, he'll restore you, he'll confirm you, which is a strengthening, he will actually strengthen you and establish you. That's the foundation that we're to live on. Think about this. Who else should you look to for eternal salvation? No one. Suffering prepares us to be with Christ, to long for his return. I was telling some guys earlier, I was Tuesday and Wednesday, I had that stomach thing that many of you have probably had. And I was just just praying for Jesus to return. I was just like, i like, Come, Lord Jesus, I am so ready right now. And uh, I'm still here. He didn't. But the fact is, our suffering causes to look to Christ. And, And the fact is, it's a reminder that he cares for you, that he'll carry you through whatever you're going through. No wonder Peter cries out in verse 11, to him be the dominion forever and ever, amen. He just, this incredible benediction and trust and faith in the Lord. And finally, we see this stand on God's faithfulness. Look at verse 12. He says, by Silvanus, that could also be Silas, a faithful brother, as I regard him. I've written briefly to you, and it's believed that, that Silvanus wrote down what Peter told him to write, and then he writes the end of this. He says, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Everything I've written is, is true, and this is all God's grace, He says, stand firm in it. Just like, stand firm in God's grace. Just stand in it. Trust in it. And then he says, she who is at Babylon. It's probably speaking of the church in Rome. She who is at Babylon, the church at Rome, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. That's John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, and it is believed that Peter helped John Mark write that. Sends you greetings, and so does John Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Y'all can do that later. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter's saying, listen, I know you've gone through difficult times. I've experienced what you've experienced, but remember, God cares for you. And as a result, clothe yourselves, each one of you, in humility. Cast your burdens on him. Grow firm in your faith. Stand on God's faithfulness. Put your hope in eternity. I'm going to end with the story of a, a man named Horatio Spafford. Some of you have heard of him. In uh, the great Chicago fire, Horatio Spafford was heavily invested in real estate and lost a fortune. And right when that happened, his four-year-old son suddenly died, a scarlet fever. A couple of years later, in 1873, he was a contemporary of of D.L. Moody, and he wanted to go over to Europe, take his family to Europe to see D.L. Moody and and Iris Spanky, or Sankey, And so what happened was he was getting ready to get on a ship with his wife and three or four daughters. At the last minute, he had to stay. This is a picture of Anna, his wife. He had to stay back, so he he sent his family to go to England first. And on a cold night, the ship that his family was on crashed into another iron ship. And within two hours, that ship had been buried at sea. There were 226 fatalities. There were 47 survivors, one of whom was his wife, Anna, but all four of his children perished. When she got to Wales, she cabled her husband, saved alone, saved alone. Well, Horatio immediately, he booked passage on the next ship to go to England. And this was in December now. And as they're going over the place where they believed the ship that his wife and children, that that his children were perished, the captain called him and said, I believe we are now passing over the place where the Villa de Havre went down. That night he went to bed. He couldn't hardly sleep. And he said to himself, it is well. The will of God be done. He is the one that wrote, it is well with my soul. Horrific suffering. But even in that moment, he was reminded to look up when life is down. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. And the fact is, when you're in Christ, you know it is well with your soul, no matter what you're going through. And it's so important that we look beyond this present suffering to the hope we have, to the hope of eternity. It doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't difficult and challenging. But what it means is you don't have to go through it alone that he is with you, he is for you, he cares for you, he loves you. Let me just say this, if there's never been a time where you've received Christ as Lord and Savior, don't walk out of here today without knowing that you know. We'll have some folks here up front to pray after the service. We'd love to pray for you. If you just need prayer, you can come up for prayer. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. And thank you for the fact that even in the midst of suffering and trials, we know that you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. We know that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And Lord, I just pray that we would be a people that would walk in humility, that we would stand firm in our faith, We would keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our, our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame. And Lord, we just we thank you for the fact that in Christ it is well with our souls. In Jesus' name I pray. And then as we close today-